Good evening, everybody. Just waiting on our guest. Make sure you check out the Strategic Eyes show if you haven't already. He does some fantastic work. Tonight, we're going to be discussing police reform. And he happens to be a police officer as well as a black man. So he has some unique insight. He and I have had some wonderful conversations. And I hope that you'll continue checking out his channel. Geez, 9 p.m. What are you complaining about, Lucifer? Hey, Lucifer the Doberman, stop bitching. See what I did there? One second. The question that I need to ask you, Lucifer, do you like it doggy style? V Radio is now being streamed on Rumble as well as Twitch. Make sure that you please join me on Rumble and Twitch so that you have backup areas to watch my stream. Today, thanks to a person who stepped up and volunteered to help me to establish myself on Twitch, my previous debate with Kevin Glowicki was being restreamed to two different channels on Twitch and getting a crap load of views. So might be getting big over there. The only problem that's going to happen with Twitch is that they're kind of crazy about graphic footage. Not into it. So we'll see. I may have to be careful about what I send over there. Take a look at my stream yard. Still not here yet. That's okay. It'll give us some time to make sure everybody gets in here. Been having some great conversations, networking with a lot of people. Been invited to uh, take part in some conversations on Twitch where it's like, I guess, like a debate tournament. <laughs> so we'll see. I guess they really enjoyed me debating with Kevin Glowicki. I hope you guys have uh, you know, recovered from that. <laughs> that was rough. Um, YouTube blocked it due to one of the videos that I had in the stream. So I had to pull it down. And um, I clipped out just the parts of he and I talking to each other. And uh, put it with better volume. Because for some reason my volume wasn't very good. And I don't know why. There was nothing different about my settings. Didn't really make a lot of sense. How do I sound, by the way, right now, guys? Yes, I will be interviewing Grambo, and not just Grambo. Um, our plan right now is she's actually going to have a couple more members of the Kenosha Guard who were present that night with her. I'm going to interview them like... um. The guy that she affectionately refers to as fuck around and find out guy, literally the one who kind of yelled at the protesters over the dumpster fire. He's going to be there too. My proper radio voice. 
Welcome to V Radio, where you can meet the Bob Ross of activist journalism. <laughs> Watching the chat in both Twitch and YouTube simultaneously. <laughs> you wish, bro. <laughs> Oh, yes, I do. I've also got a body built for radio. <laughs> Happy little trees. Today on V Radio, we're going to be drawing some protests. Unfortunately, these protests have turned to riots. So first, I want you to mix your cad yellow and your illusion crimson. There. Now. Let's just take our one-inch brush and paint some flames on this building. Excellent. It's your world. You're free to destroy it any way you like. Here we go. Now, maybe in our world we have some angry Antifa members. We're going to get out our midnight black and just kind of paint these hoodies on them. <laughs> In any case. All right, my guest is here. Let me go ahead and um, get everything ready to go. So I'm really serious, guys. You need to check out um, the Strategic Eyes shows. And I believe he's also on Twitch. Um, so we're going to talk about that here in a moment. And um, you guys should definitely check out his content. The stuff he did today, literally, like, it was just very real, very um, human just the moments he was talking about. And I'm trying to convince him that he needs to run for office, but he keeps saying no. But he's the kind of guy that he would really like to represent you. So in any case, looks like he's ready to go. He's got his headset on. Hey there. What's going on? Hey, man. You know, as embarrassing as this is, I've been doing all this talking with you and screaming with you. What's your name? <laughs> My real name? Well, what do you prefer to be called? Like, I, I just strategic guys. Yeah. You know, I am an active duty police officer, and um, there's a lot of crazy people out there. So, no, I'm know, not so, opposed to that. So, yeah, if you just want to be called strategic, that's fine. I'm, yeah, that's I'm cool. Strategic is cool. You know, mm -hmm. people really want to track me down. They can't. I mean, there's no hiding in the you know, on these YouTube streets. But I'd rather not make it easy for them. <laughs> well, I want to welcome you to V Radio. I want to thank you for coming on. And um, you and I met in an interesting way. Was that mm -hmm. look at that? Somebody's using my video about Cortez Rice and his insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and like it seemed like you were all worried, like I might be upset. I'm like, no, 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 use my stuff, man. I don't care. Just you know, just tell people where you got it. I don't care. Yeah, you know? I mean, it I I actually have gotten burned a few times using people's video. Either they take the monetization, which is not much because <laughs> I got a small channel, oh, yeah. or one time, I'm not monetized anyway. <laughs> yeah, there you go. With, with the um the January sixth um situation, um there was a guy I forgot his name, who was a activist, but he was pretending to be down with you know the conservative folks who are storming the Capitol, and sure. I used his video and I railed against him like, yo, he's a provocateur. Like, why right. are we giving this guy a pass? You know, and talking about all these other folks who are in the Capitol, but we're not going after this guy who's actually encouraging people to do bad, and and, and he's really like a, a double agent. Well, this right. guy actually did a copyright strike against me to punish me for my opinion. So, 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably possible about because like the music that I used on my last stream that got blocked, I was like, why do they have a problem with this? They've never like I've used this same music before. And the funny thing is, is there are royalty free versions of it. I just used like a ah, to Chikovsky's 1812 overture mm -hmm. because it's B's song. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, how the hell did I get hit for that? And I think it's probably because it was Kevin Glowicki probably being angry that mm. he kind of got smacked around a bit in our debate. But <laughs> oh, that was the guy's name. Yeah, that was really pathetic. I mean, like, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And I and I, honestly, I, I don't want to talk a ton about it today. But other than mm -hmm. just to say that I realized that I needed to to put that out there anyway. Mm -hmm. And I also conducted myself differently than I normally do. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason for that. Like normally I don't raise my voice to people and I certainly don't usually cuss at them, but I kind of mm -hmm. recognized as I'm talking to him, I'm going to have to speak his language or he's not going to hear a goddamn word I'm saying. Yeah. So that's why I started talking the way he did because mm -hmm. it was the only way he was going to get it. You know, I was like, right. But that's, that's how I approach talking to people is you need to understand their values. Mm -hmm. And I still managed to keep myself articulate in what I was getting at, but I was right. able to raise my voice when necessary to engage with him. But it's a separate conversation. So yeah, I mean, certainly, I don't want to go into. It. I just want to add one thing that it enlightened me, um, because sure. it re it reinforced what I was starting to believe that the, these movements attract a lot of social outcasts, right? You know, and, and and so just listening to him and and his history and and listen, I'm not knocking this guy. I mean, supposedly this guy's fighting for my rights, right? You know, so sure. it is what it is. But you know, I. I understand now a lot of the reason why we see some of the things that happen on those streets, you know, when these things break out and, and why things devolve into chaos because of the mentality of some of these folks coming. And, you know, listen, I was there. I wasn't in Kenosha, but I was in New York when, man, listen, <laughs> when things blew up, you know, so I, I'm on, I was on the front lines. But anyway, enough about that guy. And I have sure. no beef with you guys, whoever you are, you know, keep doing what you do. <laughs> You know, it's American. We're all entitled to our opinions. So people are already asking me where they can find you. So, um, and I want to be sure you, you are on Twitch too, right? Yes. Um, I actually, you know, I said 10 o'clock for us to do the live because I got to put the kids to bed. So I, I kind of like rushed. So I didn't want to be too late. Um, I actually set it up like a beacon mm -hmm. um, webpage that will like have all my different contacts. So as, the, as we talk, I'll be trying to multitask and I'll put that in the chat. Am I able to post in the chat? You should be able to. Yeah, just go. What I would do is if you're going to, well, I don't know where you're, where, well, okay, here's what we'll do. Mm -hmm. Go to uh, post it in the chat and then I will throw it up with StreamYard and that way people can see it on all of my platforms. Well, I, I can't do it on, on StreamYard. It's not allowing, it's allowing me to see the chat. No, I mean, go, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't articulate. So one mm. of the things I always do is I have a YouTube tab open with my stream, and then you just turn the volume down. And right. that way, you can participate in the chat in real time. And if you throw something in the YouTube, then I will mm -hmm. then highlight it. So put gotcha. where they can find you, and then I will highlight it, and then they can always find you. And I'm also right. going to, I think I put it in the description of the YouTube broadcast. I don't know for sure. I know I, but we'll figure it out. One way or the other, it's going to end up there. Because my goal is to try to expose my audience and, you know, to your work, the stuff you did earlier today, dude, that was so inspiring, man. I appreciate that, man. I, I just try and share my experiences, man. I mean, that, that, that was deep to me, man. I mean, it's, it's no way in the world that I could possibly express to you guys how it felt to have that conversation with a young man in that moment. You know? Right. So, uh, I don't even think I did him justice. Sorry. I don't even think I did him justice. 
and expressing the way he expressed himself. So he, take a moment real quick um, and go to my YouTube and then like literally just pull up the stream and mm -hmm. then just turn the volume down. And then that way you can post it in the YouTube there and then I will throw it up. I did it already. So I'm just going to get my contact oh, okay. stuff. We can keep talking. I'll get my contact stuff in the background and sure. I'll post it up then and you can do what you do. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, he has a, he's the strategic eye show. I, I encountered him on YouTube. I guess he's also on Twitch. My stuff is up on Rumble and Twitch and YouTube at the same time. And um, we'll take it from there. So in any case, um, we're, today we're going to talk about police reform. You and I have had some great conversations, and we didn't talk quite as much about what you do for a living. But mm -hmm. I think you kind of have a unique perspective. And one of the things that <clears throat> frustrates me, and we discussed this a bit on my stream, um, before we get into that, I'm going to want you to talk a little bit about your background when you're ready. But because I like to try to, you know, because basically last time I was on your stream and I was just telling you about myself. So now mm. you need to tell me about yourself and you need to tell Absolutely. my listeners about it. And that's how I do things. But anyways, but the objective is, is one of the things that frustrates me. That's why I wanted to do this show was that mm -hmm. there are so many TED people talking on the topic of policing who've never been a policeman who don't understand the complexities and they don't understand the dangers. They don't understand what creates cops. And I'm not a cop either, but I worked at a 24 hour place and I talked to cops for hours and hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would tell you all these stories that you don't normally get, you know, like, you know, even from watching an episode of cops, like he gave a lot of things about their perspective. And ironically, right before I met my ex-wife, I was deciding, you know, I think that's what I want to do with my life. Okay. <laughs> and, and then I got a wife and I was like, well, maybe not. <laughs> um because i just well, I, was she a dream killer um well it was more just a matter of like you know i, I decided that because what i had wanted to do was literally mm -hmm. to try to go be a cop in the really dangerous places right. i was like maybe i don't want to do that with a kid <laughs> right, right, yeah. you know and not that there's mm -hmm. not that i'm judging anybody who does that no, i just no, i knew that i was the kind of cop who probably mm -hmm. would end up getting myself shot so <laughs> mm -hmm. wow man <laughs> well um but in any case uh you know, but yeah, uh, so give us first of all, like, because obviously this is what I ask everybody when I interview them was, can you tell us the precipice moment for you specifically that made you decide, all right, I'm not satisfied with just observing politics from a distance. I want to get involved in some way, even if it was just having a YouTube channel, you know, was there some specific event? that took place that made you, that inspired you, you know, a moment in your life that made you say, you know what? No, I'm not going to be a casual observer. You know, I, I need to be more than a spectator. That's a really good question. And, and I definitely, I, I know that, 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 that moment quite well. Um, that was the killing of a Tatiana Jefferson. And a Tatiana Jefferson was an African-American female. Um, she was a med student or she was going to med school. She had gotten her bachelor's degree definitely in biology. She was planning on going to med school to be exact. And at the moment, at that moment, she was working for a pharmaceutical company. And she was at home with her nephew. She lived in Texas. I believe it's Texas. She left her door um, open, but her screen door locked shut just to get some cool air into the house. And it was like around 10 or 11 o'clock PM. 
one of the neighbors, the nosy neighbors, and you get that a lot as a police officer. <laughs> sometimes they save a life. Sometimes they can take a life. But the sure. nosy neighbor's like, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's around 10 o'clock. Her door's open. Can you guys send the police officer over just to do a wellness check, make sure everything is okay? And they call the non-emergency line. Not that it makes a difference. I mean, we're going to classify it as whatever we're going to classify it. So it doesn't matter what line you call. So they sent a, a police car over to investigate. And instead of the officer going and, you know, observing, looking through the open door, see if there's anything disheveled or anything like that, and just knocking on the door and saying, hey, is anybody home? He decided to tactically go around the side of the house. And as he's tactically going around the side of the house without alerting the occupants of the home that he's a police officer conducting an investigation, Tatiana Jefferson is inside of her home and she thinks that there's a prowler outside. And then he goes to the window with his gun out. Mm -hmm. She sees him with his gun. She takes out her lawful pistol, licensed pistol, and he shoots her through the window. So when I saw that happen, it, it really broke my heart because I understood that he probably shot her because he's seeing somebody with a gun at looking at him. And, and I said that she's in her home and she sees some guy outside with a gun with a really bright light. So she can't see that he's a police officer. We purposely get bright lights so that you can't see us, but we can right. see you. Um, and, and, and so she so she's looking at him with her gun like, hey, I got to defend myself. But it, the, the onus was on him because he's the pro. and He was trained and he should have known better. And that's sure. not how we're trained to do wellness checks you're not automatically thinking that there's a burglar or hostage situation in there. You knock on the door, you know, sure. because the, the, the risk outweighs whatever, you know, the, because if you go and you do what he did, you might hurt a civilian or you might get hurt as opposed to just knocking on the door and somebody says, Hey, everything is fine in here. Thanks for coming through. We appreciate you, you know, making sure we're good. Have a nice day. So I, that and some other things that came in the news where African-Americans were having interaction with police officers and they were getting hurt and the news was saying, Hey, that's racism. But I was looking at it. I was saying, you know, we were kind of escalating that situation. You know, it's, sure. a, it's a regular traffic stop and it's like, Hey, can you get your license registration? And this person's like, no, why are you stopping me? Are you racist? You know? And, and then it escalates from there. So the port, the purpose of the show when I first started it, was to have a forum where I could teach African-Americans, my people, how to have positive interactions with police. And if those interactions end up bad, the goal would be to cooperate so you could survive to fight that battle another day. So if somebody violates your rights, arrests you unlawfully, it's better to, to be able to go to court and sue them than your family suing on your behalf because you're dead. So that's the genesis of the Strategic Eye Show. But it has since morphed <laughs> and just left that 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 premise in in the in in the trash and, and and we're just doing everything at this point. We're just talking about just race relations, law enforcement, politics, whatever you can think, even entertainment at times. No, and and that's all good. And I and I hope that you're still also doing what you just said because that mm -hmm. still obviously needs to be done. And that's one of the reasons why. I don't know if you got a chance to review it. I, I asked if you could, but I never got a reply because you were probably at work. 
but I did a sh I did a video specifically about the, what I called the truth about police shootings. No, I, I actually did. I, I responded to. It. I said it was amazing. Oh, okay. I, I watched the whole thing through and through. The, the the data that you showed was amazing. I mean, your argument was was and, and but the funny thing is, I've been saying the same thing. I made a show just like that. It wasn't as um artfully crafted as yours because your your directorial skills are uh, leagues above mine's. But <laughs> I did the same thing. I mean, I went and I went to the FBI um website. I went to um uh the, whatever the bureau of statistics whatever whatever I, I googled it got it from the government database posted it talked about it and, and said hey this is a myth this is just right. propaganda this is not real you know but please continue i'm sorry no no go ahead um and, I, and basically um it, it's the same rule that i said earlier like if you ever feel you need to interrupt by all means do mm -hmm. <laughs> um Part of it is that I got conditioned as a podcaster that you don't want to have dead air because it's worse mm -hmm. for a podcast. Because if you have dead air, there's no visual. Right. So like frequently people just stop listening at that point. Right. So in any case, so but if you have a point that's ever relevant, just just mm -hmm. push your way in it. It won't it won't in any way offend me. Um, so what, what I was going to say was that I think that one of the biggest problems I have is and we discussed this a lot during our stream together was that for one thing. There seems to be, and I, I shared with you a story about a guy named Rob, who is a friend of mine on Facebook, and he's a black gentleman, mm -hmm. and he grew up in the ghetto too, and he lost two family members to gang violence, mm. and like he told the story, like one of them literally died on his lawn, like was shot in a drive-by in front of like his little sister when she was like six, so she still gets triggered when she hears screeching tires. And then another one was like a brother-in-law who got killed getting in a fight at the club, you know? And so he came away from that, like kind of feeling, okay, what the hell are we going to do about the ghetto? But he doesn't, um, you know, because he went through a period of his life where he was a criminal himself. Mm. It, it took losing people for him to kind of get, wait a minute, this isn't working, you know? So he got out of it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was his background, but like, he started not, he and I started talking because people will tell you that if you're white, you're not allowed to discuss this issue of police shootings mm. or you know, anything like as if somehow, first of all, as if white people don't also get shot by cops. But, right. that, but it's also just that it was just it's a way to just shut the conversation down if they don't like the way it's sounding. Now, mind you, it's weird because when a black guy then starts speaking up and also doesn't agree with them, then suddenly they don't get that privilege. You know, they just yeah. they switch to something else. Like, well, you're I guess you're not black enough or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the point is, is that um, one of the major components of this is that Rob said I asked him because he goes to Black Lives Matter protests and stuff and just kind of quietly listens, and because he's black, they openly say things in front of him that they may not necessarily say in front of just anybody. And so I said, so what kind of people do you feel are in the abolish the police movement? And he said, well, there's two distinct groups that I would probably identify. And I'm like, who are they? He's like, one of them is people who are totally naive about crime. Mm. You have these rich suburban white kids mm. who like they think, and this is literally what he said, they think they know the hood because they might have driven through my neighborhood once to go to a club or to go to a concert. You know, he's like, they don't know what gunshots sound like. They don't know what drive-bys are about. They don't know. They, if there was a crack house, they wouldn't be able to identify it, you know, until it was too late. You know, mm -hmm. and that, and so those are the biggest and loudest proponents for this concept are people who don't live there. And then the next thing he said, well, I was like, so what's the other group? He's like, criminals. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, as in people I grew up with 
who are lifelong unrepentant criminals. Mm. Absolutely would love to see the, the police abolished or defunded. And that's a level of insight that he's saying the quiet part out loud, you know, um, and I have similar insights. Like I looked at those things cause I grew up in those same neighborhoods, mm -hmm. but you can't share them if you're Caucasian, you know, as if the facts change based on that. Now, the issue of racial identity, so far as this information is less important to me than at this point, than people understanding what goes on in the mind of a police officer. Right. And that's why I advised at the end of that video you watched that um, uh, people watch the police activity channel because the police activity channel shows good shootings and not good in that it's good to shoot people that is in legitimate. This was done properly and bad shootings. There's nobody commentating. There's nobody spinning. It's literally just raw footage and you learn a lot. <clears throat> I mean, you can learn something from watching a show like cops, but in a show like cops, they can't show, for example, the black man literally being charged by a guy who had like size or something in his hand. And this poor cop, he felt so terrible because he's like, no, stop, stop. Like he didn't want to do it. And so then he shoots the guy mm. and he's just standing there in shock that he had to do it. And then this female officer walks up and she was, she was great. She was fantastic. She's like, look, I just need you to calm down. You know, like she handled the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Jesus, nobody ever like, you know, and then I'm thinking to myself, if this makes the headlines, it's going to be about man, you know, shot by cop. None of the circumstances are going to get into it. None of the pressures are going to get into it, you know? And I would say that there was that in addition to a funny moment where there was a pastor who was very vocal against police brutality was a kind of a leader in the black lives matter movement. And so some cops politely asked him if he would like to take the use of force tests and they put him through these tests and they video this, this pastor trying to figure out when it's appropriate to shoot his gun. And in one of the simulations, he shot an unarmed man <laughs> and mm -hmm. in another simulation, he gets killed because he didn't react fast enough. And then that guy since like created a movement within the black pastors to try to get more of them to get this information so that they could pass it on to their congregation because nobody talks about it from the police officer's perspective at all. And instead there's this huge effort, you know, as I addressed in the video that we were talking about, first of all, to give this knee jerk overreaction to a problem that is still a problem, but it's nowhere near as big of a problem as we're being told. And more, and I think that the unfortunate thing is, is that just like with the war on terror, if they've exaggerated it to death, then they're gonna, there's going to be a knee-jerk overreaction. You know, what was the knee-jerk overreaction to the war on terror? Well, we killed a bunch of people in Iraq who didn't have anything to do with 9-11. Mm. What's going to be the knee-jerk reaction to this police issue? Well, we're already kind of seeing it. They're, you know, wherever they pass defund the police, the cartel goes, hmm, <laughs> I know where I'm going, you know, mm. so... I've talked enough about my perspective on it, but that was one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on. And I guess, especially you kind of have a unique you know, situation being an African-American policeman. So give my audience some insight because I mean, the, the example that you gave about what made you become an activist is great, but I also think that people need to understand the perspective of a police officer in their day-to-day -day life and how they're in danger and like how they're in a situation where it's so easy to make the wrong decision, even if you're not a bad person in one of those high pressure scenarios. 
that's a good question. But I, before I answer that question, I think it's important that I tell your audience my experience. Like, who am I? You know, very briefly, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure. Please do. Please right. do. So, because that actually informs how I approach policing. Because I think I approach policing differently than the average police officer because of my experience in law enforcement. So I started my career in law enforcement on the lowest level of law enforcement, what we call in New York State a peace officer, which is basically you can arrest people, but there's very limited on what you can arrest them for. Like you only can arrest them if they do something in a facility that you are a security guard basically for. So I was a glorified security guard, right? I worked as a state peace officer for a mental health institution that was partly a prison, partly volunteer. So there were people who were sentenced there um, for being criminally insane. They had cells and stuff like that. And they also had an area for people who generally just needed help. So that was like my first indoctrination into being a sworn officer carrying handcuffs. Then from there, I went to work for state corrections for New York State. And I worked as a regular correction officer in a maximum security prison and a medium security prison. I did that for a couple of years, and then I got promoted to become an investigator in internal affairs. And I worked in the sex crimes division where we investigated inmate on inmate sexual abuse, staff on inmate sexual abuse and inappropriate relationships. Interesting stuff there. I got promoted to become a senior investigator where I handled all the high profile cases. Um, people who are on my channel have seen some of my press conferences. I've been on national news before uh, for some of my cases. And um, I supervised 15 investigators. And, you know, it, it just was a, a really awesome experience. But then one day, a supervisor was hired who had retired from a law enforcement agency. Um, and he said, hey, you know, if you go to the police agency I retired from, and I don't say what police agency I work for, once again, because the internet is crazy and the rules of my agency is you can say what you want on YouTube, whatever. You just can't say you work for us because then it'll be as though you was a spokesperson for us. So right. that person who works for that agency said, hey, listen, if you leave this job and you go to that police agency, all of your retirement time will go with you and you'll be able to retire very, very early. So I had a choice to make. I could stay where I was at doing the work that I love, which is internal affairs, keeping comp uh, officers accountable, making sure that things are fair and just in the prison system and in the parole system. Or I could go be a police officer. And instead of retiring at 57 years old working for the state, I could retire at 42 years old. And then there's the retirement for police officers also much better um than most police most law enforcement agencies so the the package was better so i decided to go because I'm, I'm never a person that's afraid of change so i decided to pack up and go literally when i was going my big boss was like are you okay like do you need to get like a psych evaluation like how do you walk away from a six-figure salary and go make a quarter of what you was making before because my retirement followed but not my pay pay is a different type of contract so I literally was starting at rookie pay. So I'm even six figures to go to rookie pay, which is 40 something thousand dollars. So my bosses just couldn't understand. It. I was like, yo, you know, was something wrong here? Like what's going on here? Like you're climbing up the ladder. We love you. I was like, I don't want to work forever for the government. I want to do other things. And this would give me the opportunity to retire early and go do other things. And one of those things is YouTube. Another thing is real estate. So 
Now I'm a police officer. So the reason why I, I, I had to stop the show, stop the question that you gave to, to tell you that backstory and tell everybody else that backstory is that I'm not a police officer that's indoctrinated into police culture. I started policing in my 30s. I started right before the cutoff time. There's a cutoff age of 35. I started right before that. So I came into policing as an old man. Unlike in my academy class, the average age was 22 years old. There's only like seven of us who was in our 30s, you know? And coming from an internal affairs background, I've, I've come from an entire career. This is a second career. I come from a, an entire career of going after corrupt officers. So when I talk about policing and I describe my experience in policing, it's not from somebody who's drinking a Kool-Aid. It's from my who's who's still looking as though they're an outsider looking in, who still hasn't acclimated to the fact that yes, I am a police officer, you know. So that being said, ask me a question one more time so I can make sure I have all the nuance before I give you the best <laughs> answer I could possibly give. Sure. Uh, what could you do to try to communicate to my audience to kind of give them? the perspective of the police officer so that they can rehumanize the police. That's one of the things I say is these people don't just want to defund the police. Mm -hmm. They want to dehumanize the police. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the issue that, and in addition to the fact that um, I'm getting requests in the chat that people are asking if you could perhaps center your camera because we can see your forehead and not much of your face. <laughs> no problem. Bring it down a little bit. Yeah. I said I was rushing a little bit. Sorry about that. Well, actually, no, no, maybe, no, no big deal. Maybe um, they just back a little bit. If not, I'll just maybe zoom it back. Um... Oh, no, it's a little delay. Let me see if <laughs> I can see your face now. Yeah, that's much better. All right, let me much better. Yeah, there you go. Cool, cool, um, cool, perfect. So, but anyway, to try to rehumanize the police, particularly when it comes to violent altercations, and give them the understanding and the impression of what that's like. So. Growing up in Harlem, because I'm from New York City, when I grew up in Harlem, I hated it. I didn't really like cops. I was indoctrinated in the whole police are racist and they just want to hurt you. So let's just add that as a sprinkle on top of everything that I told you before. So now let's answer that question. Police, being a police officer is the most insane job I have ever done in my life. And this is a guy who's had almost 15 jobs until I settled down into my career. Foot Locker, Gap, Champs, uh, Top of the Rock, which is a tourist destination in New York City. I've worked everywhere. Banana Republic. Oh, man. Ugh. Victoria's Secret. I, I mean, all kinds of Greenpeace. I did a summer. I tried to. I got a job with Greenpeace over the summer collecting donations. I used to be a crazy liberal, man. Crazy. Like, I've done so many different jobs and nothing in my life prepared me working on the blocks in a maximum security prison watching people get their faces chopped off watching crazy people cut their stomachs open and pull out their own guts investigating dudes getting raped being in hospital rooms with inmates crying murderers and rapists crying holding their hand crying with them because they just got gang raped nothing ever none of that stuff prepared me to be a police officer other than my prior law enforcement service made me proficient with a weapon. That's the only thing. And being an investigator, 
made me know how to talk to people. Other than that, nothing. You got a group of folks who come into this job with high ideals of helping people. Yeah, a lot of them have the hero complex. A lot of them are adrenaline junkies. A lot of them just want to want to feel like they're making a difference. And then they get the job and they realize that they're getting paid crap for what they're doing. They realize that the entire society that we live on is built off the back of policing. Hear me out. If you got a medical emergency, they call the ambulance and they call police. If your relative is having a mental health issue or you're having a mental health issue, they call an ambulance and they call police. If somebody's getting shot, they call police. If there's a fire in your municipality, they call the fire department and they call police. <laughs> For every single type of emergency you can have, the police are dispatched and the police usually get there first. So you have a group of folks who are overworked, underappreciated, underpaid, and just stressed out with the things that they see day in and day out, and nobody cares. And when something goes wrong, police gets the blaming for it. Because we're not brave enough as a society to tackle these, these issues, to solve these issues, to talk about these issues. We don't want to talk about racism in America. So when something happens and it's involving the police, well, the police are the reason for racism. We don't want to talk about economic inequality. So somehow, some way, the police are the reason for this inequality. Like, the police are the scapegoat of everything. And it's just crazy. Now, what... What are some of the things that police officers go through? Police officers have to make split-second decisions that often result in life and death situations. And unless you're a cop, and, and you hear this all the time, and I know some people will turn that off. They'll say, oh, that's just a scapegoat kind of, you know, or, or, or that's a, dis a dis distraction or whatever, or obfuscating, however you say the word. Like, no, seriously, unless you're a cop, and you know what it feels like to be confronted with a imminent danger, a situation of imminent danger, and you have to react like that. You could never truly understand why police officers make the decisions that they make when they make them. Why me, some uh, officers? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're fine. I just want to add something. Is mm -hmm. that perhaps the people that have been geared up to hate the police? might consider this because they frequently say, well, you can't possibly understand my position. It, because, do you see what I'm saying? Is that maybe they yeah. should consider, well, yeah, you also can't possibly understand what it's like to be a cop. Well, see, you the know? thing is, I think that's disingenuous because when, when people make those converse, those um, type of statements, because you have so many police officers who can understand it. Like for me, I come from the inner city. I come from Harlem. I was a victim of stop and frisk. Right. I was stop and frisk maybe 15 times. You know, I, I would come out the building and like, yo, get on the wall. I'm like, yo, Officer Chiskowski. I'm making that name up, but it was some white guy with a name like that. Yo, what, what, you, you know who I am. You see me every day. Why are you searching me for? Sure. You know, and, and then come to find out that they had to get numbers. They were told that you have to do this, otherwise they got in trouble, you know. But, you know, 
The problem is, is that people get comfortable feeling like a victim. The problem is those folks who have that attitude, not all of them, but some of them, they're comfortable being in that space. So when you come as an African-American cop and there's a lot of us, right. you look across the country, there's a lot of black police chiefs, a lot of black commissioners, a lot of black officers, period. When you come forward and you say, hey, listen, I've seen both sides, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're not seeing the full picture. Maybe I can add something to what you see. Maybe I can give you a different perspective. Those folks usually push back because when you can be a victim, when you can say, well, something's wrong with the system, then you don't have to look at yourself and ask, well, what's wrong with me? Right. No, and that's that's something we discussed, I think, in your stream that helped a lot was that one of the problems, I think, is that they, when you discuss this issue with people, it's as if it's the same thing with a lot of problems right now, but the chronology of events for them seems to begin solely when the police officer shows up. And not as in anything that might have taken place before that or led to that, mm -hmm. but also what, you know, like, you know, in the Jacob Blake shooting, for example, you know, we had two, two perspectives on it. The first one that got around to people showed a very limited amount of what actually took place. And then it wasn't until like two weeks later that another imperfect video of what took place was revealed. But by that point, the fervor about the situation was already ridiculously out of control. And I still deal with people to this day who didn't bother to learn the rest of the story, who don't know what was really going on and don't know that the cops did try to tackle him and that they did try to tase him because none of that was contained in the video. So that wasn't important. You know, and it doesn't mean that there aren't things that could have been learned from that to be done better. I, for one, think you guys need access to whatever grappling training you need, for example. Um, Sam Harris had Henner Gracie on from the Gracie family because the Gracie family's making them trying to make themselves available to the police force and he pointed out that they maybe get they get to meet these guys and do a seminar like once a year you know and because i'm a wrestling coach i'm like that's not enough that's not even that's like a joke that's that's barely anything mm -hmm. you know so you teach somebody to be a competent grappler meeting with them once a year you know they, they don't but people are not aware of like you you pointed out how little training you had and that's really important but, but you had some de-escalation and talk to people training and that was um joe rogan also had on a woman who was a uh, police psychologist and she explained that she also only gets like once a year gets to come in and give a talk about psychological de-escalation techniques that's how little of those kinds of things are given to the police and as a consequence of that you know in addition to what Jocko pointed out which was that police don't really get any really don't get any time to practice either so there's all these skills that you know, that they're expected to do in high pressure situations. And in order to do that in the military, SEALs drill like crazy to be able to do that. And cops don't get that opportunity with the exception of the SWAT teams, I guess. Mm -hmm. And their skills are very specific. You know, so like a SWAT officer is going to be out of his element if he's got to go to a domestic dispute, unless he started as a regular beat cop. But you see what I'm saying? Like, right. he's not going to have those skills, but he's going to have very specialized, I can get in your door and get my gun in your face before you pull yours kind of skills. Right. But I guess comment a bit on, you know, uh, is if you could do anything to change police, like let's just say you magically have a magic wand or maybe mm -hmm. I finally convince you to run for office and you win mm -hmm. the sheriff election in your local area, mm -hmm. which which I'm just going to keep saying over and over again to try to like brainwash you slowly over time into doing. Mm -hmm. But I'm warning you about it just so you know. 
Okay. Um, so when you win the sheriff election, <laughs> no, let's just say you could magically change and reform the police right now. Let's say President Biden appointed you the, the police czar and you could do whatever the hell you had to do to policing. What would you do? Well, I talk about this a lot on my show throughout the, the years or, or whatever we've been around on Strategic Guys show. Um, first of all, there's a number of things I do. Number one is I would raise the age to 25 years old. Um, I think police officers often start too young and therefore they're susceptible to um, being indoctrinated into bad habits. You know, so it's basically whoever you put them with to train when they're 21 years old, just come on the job. It, they usually adopt those person's bad habits. So 25 years old is enough for you to get enough time to get some other work experience. You know, why should you be a cop if that's the first job you ever had? You know, I mean, people in my academy class, this was their first real job period like done they never wow. worked anything they were they went from their parents basement receiving allowance to swearing in as a police officer now their allowance is cut off because they're getting a salary and they're going to the academy and back to the basement you know so, wow. so it's horrible so you need work experience the next thing i would do is i would raise the educational requirement that you would have to at least have a bachelor's degree the next thing I would do after that, because if you're intelligent, if you if you go to school, it doesn't make you smarter than somebody. It doesn't make sure you, it doesn't mean you have um, more street smarts than a person. It just means that you're amenable to learning new things. You're an open-minded person. You 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 know how to uh, reason your way through things. That's what college teaches you. And the next thing I would do is I would increase the pay. Yeah, that's the comment that I would have made immediately was that because um, people keep saying that that mm -hmm. they want a four year degree and all that. And mind you, those people are not you. They're people who don't really know what what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm like, OK, well, if you want all those requirements, you better be ready to pay them mm -hmm. <laughs> because right. I know that's a complaint. Many of my cop friends have told me is like, they, depending on where you're working, you're not necessarily making much more than people working at restaurants. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, mm -hmm. and your job is ridiculously stressful and, 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 you know, like, so yeah. you better be ready to pay them if you want, you know, if you want to get what you pay for. Yeah. Listen, I make $47,000 a year right now. Now, mind you, I'm still, you know, relatively new. I've got a few years on and I'm not at the top of my contract, but $47,000 a year, you know, right. and the top pay is like $90,000. You know, and so it's 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 not even much to look at when you know, we're you know a, a a young lady with a year on a job got shot the other day. She's making forty two thousand dollars a year, right? And she killed the guy who shot her. Well, I know mean, she wounded him, right. so she pulled the trigger, making after taxes around fourteen fifteen dollars an hour, and she took two bullets, making the same amount of money after taxes it's crazy right. you know you know and, and we're asking people and because of the, the thing for the age and, and i want all those things done at the same time so they weren't in any particular order but you're asking somebody who's 21 years old to come into your home and you're 50 and you're having a dispute with your wife and they're supposed to moderate they, they're still a virgin how are they supposed to moderate <laughs> on your relationship how are they supposed to bring you empathy and compassion so that's why you need age and experience but we don't take policing seriously in America. I mean, police officers do, but society doesn't. Why shouldn't police off being a police officer be on par with being a doctor and a lawyer? I'm not saying pay-wise, but I'm talking about respect-wise. 
Because in other countries, that's what it is. In other countries, you have to go to the police academy for years before you can be, become certified and become a police officer. Right. And it's viewed as just as respectable as a profession as being a lawyer or a doctor. And, and, with, all, and mm -hmm. with a huge, hard propaganda campaign going on right now to demonize police officers, that problem only gets worse. You know, and, and I think that there's a big part of it that, that kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier was that there's a cultural element that creates this situation that goes on within the communities that they're concerned about. They don't talk about that. And like when I had Pastor Corey Brooks, Brooks on my show, he's an activist and you should have him on your show. You'd like him mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. who does work in Chicago in some of the worst neighborhoods possible. And his activism is geared around getting kids to get into good jobs and to stay in school and to stay out of gangs. And how much effort do you see our current racial activists putting into that message? Like almost none. Right. I mean, am I wrong? Like, I mean, I don't, I, I just, I haven't seen it. It's, it's about blame the police, blame the system, which don't get me wrong. There are things wrong with that, but there, you know, that's one of the things that um Rob pointed out too, is that he finds it so ridiculous. He's like, look, I lost two family members. None of them were hurt by cops. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. and that happens way more often, right? you know, and that's what the statistics show. Right. But if you followed the, the common, uh, it's just it's just propaganda. It's lies. If you mm -hmm. follow the lies, then you would believe that the cops like are just murdering thousands of black people every single day, and that's not what's happening. You know, like those things do happen. That's why I kept saying all deaths matter because you can't say all lives matter. Okay, well, all deaths matter. I'm not undermining the fact that in 2019, 290 or 252 people, black people were killed by cops, 13 of which were unarmed. A number not adjusted for justified shootings just this is the raw numbers you can assume right. most people shot unarmed obviously there's something questionable mm -hmm. but that's the actual number of people who died out of three million five hundred thousand on average police interactions every year mm -hmm. and when we 48 use 48 million americans what do you right well, yeah african americans yeah it's just absurd to suggest mm -hmm. that that's a genocide mm -hmm. so then we create a situation where the very people who need police in their community are being separated from that which would keep them safe. And, the, and now, mind you, this is mostly, this is the other thing that gives me some hope, is that Pew Research polls have shown that most African Americans grasp that they actually want more police in their community. Oh, but, absolutely. but there are people who are hijacking this message and unfortunately also convincing politicians that the entire black vote is on board with this stuff and they're not, you know, and I, I guess I'm commenting on it. You're living it. You know, if you could do anything to try to, I guess, I mean, have you seen this obviously like this kind of irrational hatred of you and, and what ways are they, how are they equipping you to try to handle that, to overcome that problem? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, I've, I've definitely been harassed, harangued, and attacked um, for being a police officer while on duty. Um, and the departments across the country, I know definitely my department do, does absolutely nothing to prepare me for it. 
I mean, actually, what they do is they just let you know that if you react to it wrong, you'll be disciplined. <laughs> you'll right. get in trouble, you know, because the people who run these departments, they're all politicians. You know, you, you for, for mostly all of these departments across the country, it's a civil service test to get the job. It's a civil service test to become supervisors. And at some point, you become an appointed person or an elected person. If you're a police commissioner, then you're appointed. So that's politics. You end up just doing what the politicians want you to do for you to be in their in their eye to get that 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 promotion. Or you're a sheriff, a sheriff or something, and you're elected. And once again, you're you know you're doing what the people want you to do, what the loudest folks want you to do. So, right. I mean, it's really there isn't really much support. I think where officers are getting most of their support is from each other. And then that then creates its own problems because one of the biggest problems that people have with police officers, and I think rightfully so in some instances, is that it's that us against them mentality, right? So how are we supposed to break that us against them mentality if we make police officers feel like they're not a part of the community? What are they going to do? They're going to do what all human beings do. They're going to coalesce amongst each other. Humans need support, period. And they're going to get that support from wherever they can get it. And if that means we got to get it from each other, that's where we're going to get it. And then it's going to perpetuate more of those divisive ideas that the police aren't here to serve us. They're serving themselves. They don't care about us. They look at us like the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a self-fulfilling prof prophecy out there because the community isn't backing them police. But the funny thing is, is that that's not from every sector. The majority of people that I police are happy to see me there. Um, most of the issues that I have are with activists or with ultra poor and disenfranchised African-American people. Now, that's not like that. That is a small segment of the African-American population. I'm not saying all African-Americans. No, I'm saying activists, white and black. And the most disenfranchised African-Americans people who have been to prison, people who are engaged in criminal criminal activity, people who have relatives who have had a lot of police contact. So they've witnessed their relatives being arrested, probably for good reason, but they're not going to process it that way. And they're latching on to what the activists are saying to validate feelings that they've had, period. Right. And the problem with both of those segments is that they're the loudest people. They're the ones that scream at the at the loudest. Like I'll come into the community that I police because I do a lot of I do community policing basically, and the folks they'll come up to me and they'll say, "Yo, we're so happy you're here. You keep it so safe. The the, the community so much better since you and your partner have been coming here and doing your enforcement and all that good stuff." They'll whisper that to you. But the person who doesn't like cops because they're the ones we're arresting, they're like, "Yo, f you." Fuck you, fuck you. You could curse, right? Can you curse on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right, you know, fuck you, uh, screaming out across the street, <laughs> screaming it loud for everybody here. But the folks who then the folks who support you, they're not gonna, hey, I love you, thank you. You know what I'm saying? So sure. what is the perception? The perception is, oh, here's that, you know, that black kid saying F you. Uh, everybody can hear it. Oh, you know, that community doesn't like the police. That's not true. That's why when you take the polls. The polls tell you the truth because when people are in their living rooms and they get that phone call or they get that internet survey for that poll, they don't have to hide how they really feel. They can keep it real. But it's it's those it's the loudest voices that are 
forwarding this fake narrative. But the truth is, from somebody who lived in the hood, me, who experienced abstract poverty, as far as American abstract poverty can go, me, who lived in an area that was very high crime with people dying every day, drug addicts during the crack epidemic, the whole nine. And everybody knows if you watch pop culture, watch the movies, Harlem was the epicenter of it. Sure. Nobody in the hood, even when we did have racist cops, because they would call us N-words and stuff like that. Right. We would not trade in those racist cops for anything because even though they were racist, we knew if they did not come around, what we would do to each other, and I'm not saying I would do it, but what the thugs would do to us is 10 times worse. And that's the conversation that we, as in my people, we don't want to have and the activists don't want to let us have. They don't want us to talk about the violence that is in our community because I don't know. I don't know why. Because there's nothing shameful to have a conversation about that because there are reasons that that violence exists. It's not like black people are inherently violent people. That's not the case. Right. There's just historical reasons for it. So you don't have to be ashamed to talk about it. You just have to have the courage to say, well, what can we do to fix it? But we don't want to talk about that. We just rather get scapegoats. There was this, uh, a moment, and I want to remember, I'm having a hard time, but it was a black police officer being uh, conversed with at one of the riots, and he was talking about it, and he said that there was a moment where a protester walked up to him and started talking to him, and then they started making some headway. Like he's, like the protester started to understand that he was talking to a human and not just uh, you know, a baton and a shield. And then other protesters walked up and said, hey, you know, we don't talk to the cops. F the police, you know. And, and then the pro and then like eventually the cops said, who told you that? He's like, oh, well, that's what we were told to say. <laughs> yeah, like, I was getting that a lot. Somebody doesn't want that conversation to happen. Yeah, and, I was and getting that's, that a lot. Right, and, and it's, that's the part about it that I think it's also just so stupid because if you actually care about these communities... And unfortunately, because Ben Shapiro says things like this, people on the left are never going to hear it, but it's the truth, because I also grew up in the ghetto. If you want your community to thrive and you want people to invest in your community, a strong police force is an incentive to do that. Mm. If you want to have a lawless community, then you're going to have less quality stores. You're not going to have bigger businesses. You may not have a good medical clinic. You may, you know, those are the things that are going to go away in exchange for the power vacuum. This is the other part of the problem that I don't think that they want to talk about is that or rather they don't, they don't get it is that like when I grew up in the ghetto, the police response time could be as much as an hour. So the mm. cops weren't the problem mm. <laughs> you know, because they're barely relevant. Right, you know, right. Like as far as that, it's not because they didn't care. They were just overworked mm. in a ridiculously violent neighborhood, mm. you know? Um, so the point is, is that, so who, filled the power vacuum because it's not the fascist stormtrooper police force. You know, no, that they, they barely exist in a mm. situation like that, you know, because they can't even, they can't be around even to oppress you. There's not enough of them, mm -hmm. you know? So, so the point is, is that they don't acknowledge that the power vacuum is not vanishing. It's not just going to go away. It's right. going to be filled with something else, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why I brought up that the FBI has discovered that, 
the cartel is taking special interest in Seattle and Portland and in places where they're trying to push to defund the police department. Mm. Now, who do they think is going to run those places? Unfortunately, a perfect example of how this plays out is that the Antifa groups have been emboldened to think that they're tough because nobody's stopping them. And I, a very good conversation that I had that they didn't have a good answer for was in Antifa in LA thought that they were, you know, they were hard because they went to the Wii Spa and beat up soccer moms with poster board signs, you know, who weren't in any way fascists. Um, who just didn't want to see a transgender person expose themselves to children without consent of the people involved, and they beat the crap out of them. And that's in Los Angeles. Well, if they were really concerned about trans rights, they could have headed over to MacArthur Park, where MS-13 murders trans people openly in broad daylight. Right. But they're not going to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, and, there's, there's a, a funny part to that story, not to stop you, but... No, go ahead. Um you know, that guy ended up being a sex offender. Right. You know, right. And that was his M.O. His M.O. was he used his transgender status. I'm not going to take that away from him. If he, if he says he's transgendered, then he's transgendered. He used his status as a transgendered female to gain access to those areas where he then engaged in activity that warranted him being charged as a sex offender. Well, right. So, and, and I definitely don't disagree with that. And the funny thing is, is that my trans friends also recognize that that some people with bad intentions will try to use something like that to gain access to children mm. and i don't believe that trans people are more likely to be you know I've, I've just been around too many of them they're not more likely to be you know child molesters than anyone else but that doesn't mean that a child molester wouldn't use that and that's why all of my like mm. i had a trans roommate they, mm -hmm. they were just very discreet and they were aware of the fact that there were children in the house you mm -hmm. know to them they're like why would somebody do that you're mm -hmm. pre-op trans and you're just going to go expose yourself? That's ridiculous. Right. You know, now, but we don't have to go too far down that hole. It was mostly just about if Antifa was actually an effective force mm -hmm. in doing any of the things they said they were fighting for, right. I'll tell you why they're not going to MacArthur Park to confront MS-13. It's because MS-13 is not going to stand across from them with shields and batons ordered not to do anything to them. MS-13 is just going to take out a gun and shoot them dead. Mm. You know, like <laughs> It wouldn't matter if they rolled up a 40 you know, MS-13 will cut their throats. So we're supposed yeah. to believe that we can abolish the police and just let these kids in black block take over all of that. You know, it's just I mean, we, we gave them Chaz and, you know, we had rapes and murders there. Right. You know, and assaults. You know, these, these folks are delusional oftentimes. And, you know, the one part of me understands that there are people who are trying to fight for a cause that they feel is going to make things better. I... I I don't even not even knowing what the cause is. I always just feel like that's a part of being an American, sure. You know, but so I don't begrudge them for having their political feelings and, and whatever. But they're kind of delusional as to the nature of people, and unfortunately, there's a lot of bad people out there, and we don't want to acknowledge that. We don't right. want to acknowledge that some people like doing bad. Like you spoke about your friend who changed their life because too many of their relatives unfortunately passed away. Right. Due to violence. I, the question I would ask your friend, and maybe you asked this question already, is why did you engage in criminality in the first place? Like why did you live a life of crime? What motivated you to do that? What kept you doing that? Like anybody can make a mistake. But when you've been in and out of prison, I'm not saying that this is your friend's story. I'm just saying in general, you've been sure. in and out of prison four, five, six, seven, eight, sometimes 20, 30 times. 
What makes you keep doing things to get exposed to the law? That's the question I'd like to know. Because right. I feel like some people are just evil. You know, and, and, and too many of these activists won't accept that. They think everybody's redeemable. Well, and that was actually, I had a great conversation with um, an anarchist named Derek Jensen. He's a leftist anarchist, but he also worked in a prison as a teacher. And all of his views about prison reform and police reform came from the fact that his own prison inmate students told him, you, you can't do that. Like <laughs> the hardcore prisoners are like, you, no way. Like you, you can't abolish prisons. These are people in prison. Right. You know, they understood that. And he also kind of came to some conclusions working that job, that there were people there that they can't be out in public. They're, they're too damaged. Yeah. They're too dangerous. Yeah. But But we don't look at it like that. Like that's why, and I brought this up and this is relevant to police shootings. And I, when I had it out with that Kevin guy, I let him have it about acting like Jacob Blake was a good person. Right. Getting shot by cops in a questionable situation does not make you a good person. Mm-hmm. Getting shot by Kyle Rittenhouse doesn't make you a good person either. No. But, but the point is, is that they, they, they just, it, because there was a narrative that they're pushing, the fact that he's a rapist, irrelevant. The fact that he was a domestic abuser, irrelevant. The fact that he was actively violating a restraining order from his victim, somehow invisible. Now, these are the same people that, let's say, like, let's say some prominent white um, uh, actor or something did to Jacob Blake's, like, did what Jacob Blake did to a woman. They would want that guy to never see the light of day again. Right. You know, he, they, and hell, it, that prominent white guy could say something untoward on Twitter 10 years ago, and they would want that person unpersoned. Instead, we, we canonize or lionize these people as if they are completely angelic people who've never done anything wrong. And don't get me wrong, there are people who do get killed by police who shouldn't have been killed by police. Right. But when we stretch the, you know, the reality in this way, and we lie because there's still people lying about Jacob Blake. It's been so long, you know, mm-hmm. and I've already been off on the Kyle Rittenhouse lies, but it's along the same line, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, he did everything you shouldn't be doing. And I mean, it looks like the cops were wrestling with him when he had a knife in his hand. I'm yeah, like, he admitted he had the knife in his hand. And he said yeah. that they didn't see it. Right. Well, and then he pretty- dropped it. <laughs> right. Well, he could have been killed at any moment at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they didn't even shoot him when he had the knife. There's there's a moment where it's visible in front of the car. But I, right. the point is, is that I, because of the fact the fervor of that situation has become so tribal and emotional, right. the rationality of the situation is completely gone. So mm-hmm. then then you have these people who say things like, well, we want to reform and have what they call community justice. The mm-hmm. first thing that popped into my head from my time in the South when they said community justice was a black man hanging from a tree because he looked at a white woman. Those people thought they were doing community justice too. Mm. <laughs> you know, like y- you can't, I can't trust, you know, crazy people to decide as a mob who's guilty. They just strung up Kyle Rittenhouse no matter what. Yeah. You know? I, I don't even, I don't really know much about that. I mean, was that like some alternative to incarceration kind of doctrine? What is that? <laughs> How does that exactly work? So, I mean, I, I took criminal justice like, <laughs> this must be a new concept or something. <laughs> but I mean, listen, I don't know. Why are we listening to these folks? <laughs> well, 
because you know because they're 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 getting vocal and they're getting yeah. they're getting into our universities and teaching right. this stuff to our kids, yeah, and then they're yeah. trying to take it further down the line into K through twelve, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why they've got you know the even little kids like when I was a little kid, we had children's books to teach us that to be safe around policemen. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what the children's books are saying now, right? You know, but again, it's like the the criminal is no longer in the equation. If we were writing this up as an equation, a chalkboard, we're taking the number that represents the criminal out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently people just go to the ghetto and get shot for being there. Yeah. And and that, and I'm not saying that can't happen, but that's not what's happening most of the time, not even close. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why, you know, Rob pointed out that lifelong criminals were people who want to abolish or make the police less effective and as you pointed out, you actually have more positive interactions with black people, you mm-hmm. know, that are when you're policing them than you do with activists. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you couple that with what I said earlier about the Pew research claiming, you know, making it clear that most black people get that they would actually prefer to have more police. Mm-hmm. So the problem and the reason why we're discussing it with these people is because unfortunately politicians are listening to them. Right. You know, like the crap in Minneapolis. So they, they moved to defund their police and then they refund their police right. because they're, I'm literally watching this ridiculous conversation where one of their city council members who, you know, uh, campaigned on defunding the police is literally bitching the cop out because she got carjacked or something like that yeah. after defunding her police. Right, right. Well, why aren't you doing your job? And you're like, you don't even want us to be here. I saw that uh, that meeting. It's like you know, and he that that uh, that chief was like doing their best to kind of, you know, s- steer the conversation away from the fact that yeah, we can't do it because we don't have the funding. It's, right, it's horrible. Right, wow. and and I guess that that's really the problem is that we need to figure out ways to educate people about mm-hmm. the truth of what's going on. And we have to find ways to take some of the narrative back, you know, and and generally what I usually say, you know, if I were Black Lives Matter, why are they not involved in their sheriff elections? Mm. Why are they not pushing their uh, mayors who in many cases will bend over backwards to the point of putting their heads in their butts to do whatever BLM wants? Why aren't they pushing for police chiefs to be appointed that are friendly to the idea of reform? You know, to well, avoid police brutality. Well, they—I don't know what they're doing across the country, but in New York, they certainly are. I mean, you know, Hawk Newsom uh, had a meeting with uh, the mayor-elect of New York City. His name is um, Eric Adams, right? And he basically said, "Hey, if you know, if you bring back stop and frisk and you do other things that we don't like, you know, it's going to be blood in the streets and we're going to burn everything down." So, right. I mean, they are trying to get their politicians to to do what they want them to do, maybe in a terrorist way, but they're still trying in some instances. I, I, I just don't have any faith in that organization at all, to be honest with you. And I don't want them to be at the vanguard of choosing who's going to be uh, mayors or um, police chiefs. I think it's a political organization that I've now come to believe is Marxist. And I, I have no faith that they actually have in mind what's best for the African-American community. And I feel that way because they've invested nothing in the African-American community. They've got millions of dollars and all they've done is pad their own activist pockets. 
There are no centers that have been created to help young black men. There's, there, there are no training seminars, no training centers, no schools, no nothing, not even a think tank where you could actually develop policies that influence politics. Nothing. Where's the right. money going? What are they doing with it? I don't know. Or what I do know is that during the day, there will be protests and there will be pre peaceful protests and it will be organized by Black Lives Matter. And then they'll go at the predetermined endpoint that they've notified the police of and they'd say, all right, we're here, guys. All right. Justice for the people. We love you. Thanks for coming out. Have a good day. And then they'll disperse. Right. And then when the nighttime comes, they'll reorganize and then they'll go burn stuff down. Now, I don't know if that's Black Lives Matter or not. But what I do know is that when we ask them to denounce the rioting, they refuse to do it. And the people who are out there rioting are rioting in their name. So any organization that will A, collect tons of black people and people of all races money and do nothing for the black community and B, not denounce the destruction of black communities and C, as a Marxist organization, is a organization and group that I just cannot support. So that's my take on Black Lives Matter. And I can't, and, and as far as like you've come to believe it, I can show you <laughs> as far as the communism thing. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't believe it until I read it. This is before they scrubbed their website. Like right. I thought it was like a right wing talking point. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe well, you can, well, you can cool. hear them say it. And I actually have, it, it, I'll, maybe I might even play that segment mm -hmm. during the part, but basically mm -hmm. Patrice Culler is openly saying we are trained Marxists. Then she gets confronted for it. So she literally just makes a video saying, yep, I'm a Marxist. And then Garza has her name. She's at a leftist forum and she says that, um, you know, black, we can't come to a situation where Black Lives Matter under capitalism. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not even conspiracy theory. It, there's all like I can give you raw video footage of them saying it out loud when they don't mm -hmm. think anybody's listening. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that um, the problem is so like. I don't know if we discussed this, but it kind of clicked into my head when I was talking to a gentleman before we got on. But mm -hmm. so at Occupy, Occupy was devoted to peaceful protest, absolutely opposed to riots, opposed to damaging the local economy. And in fact, we protected local businesses and did businesses with them. Businesses were safer. And in some cases, particularly in Occupy Flint, because we were also armed, crime went down when Occupy was around. Mm. Now, now, in comparison, <laughs> if there's a Black Lives Matter thing going on with Antifa present, your stores are likely going to get their windows busted open. They're going to get looted. They're going to get destroyed. And it's going to hurt the local economy. Those people are going to close up. And in many cases, they're not going to rebuild. So mm. they're creating more poverty, which in turn right. creates more crime, which in turn creates more violent interactions with police, which in turn leads to more people getting shot, which leads to more riots. It's literally, mm. it's not even a circle. It's a downward spiral. Absolutely. And, you know, and so, and, but anyway, there were two other organizations. And one of the things about Occupy is that Occupy was kind of diverse. There were people who were just flat out communists there, but there were also people that were still capitalists. There were people mm -hmm. that maybe even libertarians, there were people that are anarchists, but you didn't have to be any one thing to be accepted at the Occupy camp when it started. Right. So they were all kind of 
content to be part of what we were doing, but there wasn't a membership requirement of embracing the ideology of everybody there. Right. So there were two organizations that were constantly trying to push us to be violent. One of them was referred to as Black Bloc now, or then, but it was just Antifa. If, if you right. watch old videos of Occupy, it's Antifa. And then beyond another group called BAM, which is by any means necessary, meaning like the Malcolm X style of things. And I remember, for example, passing a resolution in Detroit, Occupy Detroit, I passed a resolution to say we denounce all violence because we were tired of people walking around behind our peaceful marches and breaking crap and us having to deal with it. And so, bam, literally tried to block my resolution that they, they absolutely would not allow us, that's as far if they had their way, to denounce violence and riots. And they failed, <laughs> I think in part because their argument was loud and cussy and screamy and mine was rational, but mm. that doesn't always work anymore. <laughs> so anyway, it looks to me like BAM, which was a communist movement in addition to being a black rights movement, and Antifa more or less kind of hijacked what was left of the momentum of Occupy. And then that became what you have as Black Lives Matter. And that's mm. why the violent activism has made its way into the mainstream. And there are still plenty of peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters, but they don't do that you know, at the behest of, of the whole organization. Instead, what you find is that, ironically, as they tell us that white silence means violence, They'll just stand by and not do anything about it, or they won't condemn it, or they won't speak about it. And if they do speak about it, it's in apologist terms of, well, you got to understand 400 years of oppression. I'm like, what does that have to do with you burning down some like immigrants building, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, destroying their livelihood? You yeah. know, that Mexican family who ran the ice cream parlor in Kenosha deserved to lose their business because Jacob Blake got shot in the back while resisting right. arrest. You know, explain that to me, square that up with me. And they don't want to have that conversation. And some of it is that um, the extreme Marxists believe that, it, you know, and, and especially the anarchists who have, in my opinion, lost the plot. And like anarchists are actually starting to reject Antifa for this reason. They think if they can destroy all the property, then that will make it easier for them to convince people to embrace communism, that they think that people's private property is part of the problem. And the thing is, is that it's just not, it's never going to happen. They're not going to achieve what they think they're going to achieve. And they need to recognize that the violence that they've successfully engaged in was allowed to happen. Because when they cleaned us out at Occupy, that's what it looks like when the cops are actually told to get rid of people. Mm -hmm. If they're told to stand down, then it looks like what you see right now, which is standing across from these guys in a shield wall getting spit on and getting cussed at by people who might occasionally throw a bottle at you and they think they're tough. You know, like they, the current activist doesn't seem to have any connection to history whatsoever. And Occupy wasn't even that long ago. Right. And, you know, if you try to talk to them about that, they don't listen. You know, so I guess what I was getting is just the origins go back to BAM and they go back to Antifa was already there, kind of waiting in the wings, hoping to convince us that that's what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but one thing that I would say was also different was that, don't get me wrong, we talked about police brutality at Occupy, and we called it out when it happened, but a lot of cops supported Occupy. Yeah, a lot of people supported Occupy. It was right, a I know. working man, it was, you know. Right. And the cops that we had near us at Occupy Detroit were very friendly, and they, you know, when they were ordered to get rid of us, you know, that's 
That's what it was. It was inevitable that, that was going to happen, but it didn't change the fact that no, they thought the bank bailout was bullshit. They knew that that was bad, and they, you know, they understood the concepts of what's going on with income inequality. You know, so <clears throat> what rises out of that, you know, is that now we have a situation where the message has been entirely hijacked, and what what was supposed to be about Black Lives Matter, and I watched this happen, was it started off with Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and communism too. Like like they just snuck it in when nobody was looking, you know, and that's what I would say, you know, is, is the element to this, that the people who don't have history don't understand. Right. And and I want to figure out a way to try to bridge some of these gaps and understandings. You know, you did an excellent job earlier of explaining what it's like to be a police officer, you know, and to try to get it through to people. They're being told not to even listen to those stories. And then they're being given different versions, like that apparently the KKK, which is like a pathetic organization that barely has any influence at all, supposedly mm-hmm. runs all police precincts. You know, like <laughs> they have these crazy conspiracy theories. And I guess I, this would be a good question for you, though, is like, mm-hmm. how much racism do you genuinely encounter in the police, you know, line of work? Um, racism within my department? Wow, let me think about that. Um so far zero <laughs> seriously like man no, listen you. like that was one thing i was like man because where i was at it was, you know i was in such a cushy job and i that was like that was like a fear of mine it's like mm, you know i'm going into a mostly white department you know da, da, da. none <laughs> yeah i came i came in immediately they're like don't treat him like a rookie He's got a ton of experience. Respect this guy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like within a year, I was in a prestigious community policing policing position, you know, like that, you know, I was on the list to, to go to detective. I just got to wait because, you know, somebody else got selected who had more time. So that's fine. But like already, like, you know, like I have been nothing but respected and had tons of opportunities since I've been in the department. You know, I, I was cop of the month twice this year. You know, and received a tons of, 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 of accolades and, and, and different um, medals and stuff like that that shows them that they appreciate me. Like, you know, I, I've experienced no racism. And the funny thing is, I've seen no racism. And not, I'm not there all the time. I'm not there for every instance. You know, it's, it's a big department, people doing different things. But I have never seen an officer... Um, target somebody for their race since i've been working as a police officer like and, and what i what what i want to impress upon people and there's different types of policing there is literally different types of policing you know I, like i forget the names of them because I, <laughs> I haven't been in college for a little while you know i just graduated not too long ago but it's been a little while like you have order maintenance you know where it's where it's just basically like you're just if I remember correctly, you, you kind of just like, I don't know. I don't want to go into it because I do my research and I come back to you. The bottom line is the type of policing in like most cities is you don't have time to just see a guy walking down the street and say, oh, I want to mess with that guy because he's black or he's Latino. You're living by this radio. Every minute you're getting a job. You're just going from job to job. You're not doing active policing. You're not doing proactive policing. 
You're not like, oh, I see that guy do a furtive movement. Let me go and stop him. He might have a gun. Or he might have some drugs. Like you're, you know, you have a cue with people who need help. This person saying they're getting beat up by their boyfriend. That person saying it was just robbed. This person saying that their cat is stuck in a tree. Like you have to get to each one of these jobs. So like there, there's no when 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 I observe people having interactions with my colleagues in my department. The cops have usually they have either a called the police for assistance and they're voluntarily getting the assistance, the assistance that they requested or B, they've been accused of doing a crime. I'll give you a good example. This was was this is this is Sunday, right? I, I, I barely get any sleep, so I lose track of time. Saturday night. So, right. so Sunday and I can't even remember what I did on Saturday. Saturday night, right? We get a call that the 7-Eleven is, is being robbed with a, with a firearm. We get there. We thought that we're going to get into a gunfight, you know. We get there, and two people are like, Those, that's the guy with the gun. He's outside talking to a homeless guy. We get him. We detain him, all that good stuff. We're doing our investigation. He's getting a little rowdy. He's upset. I don't have no gun. What are you talking about? Ah, it's an African-American gentleman. He's upset. I have a gun. Ah. So we put him in handcuffs. We're doing our investigation. Um, a Caucasian lady walks up to the guy while I'm talking to him, trying to de-escalate, trying to calm him down, let him know, hey, listen, you know, we're just doing our investigation. We'll let you know what's going on in a second. Just relax. She's like, sir. Are you okay? Are you okay right now? I'm like, lady, we're doing an investigation. Get out of here, <laughs> you know? But the bottom line is that it turns out that those people were, were drug addicts and they were lying. They were lying. They were actually stealing. They were stealing, um, like putting beer inside of a cup that, that you put your juice in because it's a 7-Eleven. And when the clerk was like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? They then, for some strange reason, said that the two guys that were leaving the, the store had a gun or something like that. The bottom line is, for me telling you this story, which I forgot. <laughs> sure. But I, I guess the purpose of me telling the story is that, like, well, what were we talking about before? I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. We were just discussing what it's like to, to be a cop and trying to help people understand what it's like to do the job. And you pointed out that as far as racism in the department, how much racism have you ever encountered oh, as a policeman? Yeah. Within the, yeah, the reason why I was saying that was, was because, like, you know, this guy probably thought that the cops were being racist against him. Mm -hmm. He probably thought, hey, you know, they were just pulling me over for no reason. They're harassing me and all this stuff. And the lady, the Caucasian lady who's asking him if he's okay, you know, she probably thought that we were being racist against him too. That, oh, here's another black guy who's in handcuffs for whatever reason. And little does this guy know what he found out and he understood and he said, no, it's no problem. There's, I have no issues. I understand why you guys did what you had to do. But he, little did they know two people are telling us that they witnessed him with a gun sure two people and we that's called a verified complainant i can arrest somebody like well, a lot of people don't understand if v radio if you come to me in the person and you say that person punched me in my face and and, and stole my phone you know i have to arrest that person right right even though he didn't do nothing to you right that's the law. The law says 
basically that if you're lying, we'll find out, we'll get cameras, we'll see that he just walked past you and, and didn't even say anything to you, and then we'll arrest you for making a false report. But at that moment, we have to take your word for it because we weren't there to witness it. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't understand that that's how the law works. So this guy didn't even know that. But in the end, we told him, we explained it to him, and we said, hey, look, they're drug addicts, and they lied, and we were sorry. And, and he said, no problem, no worries. It's all good. I totally understand why you did it. They said something about a gun, and guns ain't in a game. That's what he said. And then he said, yo, I'm out. Y'all have a good day, and, and we let him go. You know what I'm saying? Right. But nobody you know people assume things but they don't really know what's going on they're really not in it i've never and i think the larger point is i've never seen an officer stop somebody because they're black harass somebody for being black i've never seen it man I've never seen it i've seen the, the most that i've heard is i'm in a car with a, a a white kid that like barely had any contact with black people before being a cop and they're like yo why that guy got his pants so low and his butt is out and you know his boxes is showing because i don't know what part of the country you in and what the style is over where you at but where i'm at the the pants have gotten even lower like guys are literally wearing their pants on their thighs so like you can see their butts <laughs> with boxes right on boxes, oh i'm very I mean? familiar with that yeah so so like that's the, that's the most if you want to say that that's a racially charged statement then that's the most i've ever gotten and it's not to say that perhaps it's not different in some precincts and some areas, some, you know, but, you know, I mean, I imagine like where I grew up in the, the, during the part where I lived in the South, I would have no doubt that those cops would be racist, but mm -hmm. you know, it would be, I guess, regional would be the word I would use. But mm -hmm. I, I think the idea that, that it's an organization that's been like incredibly infiltrated by the KKK and they're just everywhere. I, I just it doesn't make any sense and they're they're cultivating an idea that they're telling black kids that white cops are literally just driving around looking for black people to shoot and that's why i tell people to go watch um that police activity channel because of all the different times you get to watch oh so that's why cops are nervous in this situation like i remember having a talk with a cop specifically about why some police are tense during um traffic stops and, oh, yeah. and when they walk up and he's like, well, statistically, that's when an awful lot of us get killed. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I just, it's so easy for you to just pull a gun out and just shoot me right there, you know? Yeah. And he said that, so what you got to understand is that as the cop is walking up to the side of this car, he's not thinking about your problems at the moment. <laughs> he's not concerned about, you know, well, you're irritated because you're about to get a ticket. He's concerned about, is this a, felon is this it's like you know a, a convict is this somebody who's going to shoot me is that the last time i'm going to kiss my little girl goodbye like mm -hmm. you know that's the kind of shit that's rolling through your head when you're walking up on a car you don't know what the hell they're going to do and there's so many videos like i if it weren't for the fact that youtube is starting to hammer me about this stuff i'll probably put it on bitchute but i just want to put a tether a compilation of traffic stops where the guy just shoots the cop you know, and like right there, because people are just not aware of it. The version of it that's in their head is fiction. Like, mm -hmm. and stop me. I mean, you're the expert here. I'm just going with what I studied. But I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, because I looked at it very close because I was thinking about being a cop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, it's like, this is terrifying. You're walking up on this car. You don't know who the hell this person is. You know, and it's like it was actually a 
like I remember watching the video that led to a, it's kind of a separate issue as far as firearms, but like it was apparently a cop. What led to the cameras in the cars was this really tragic story of a cop by himself. He didn't have a partner. He pulls over these two guys and he just happened to have a video camera sitting on his dashboard that was on and pointing forward. So it was an accident. And right. he's he's pulling these two dudes over and then they gang up on him and they pull him off the street and they take him out and they kill him in the ditch. The yeah. only reason we have any idea that what happened to that cop was because he just happened to have his camera on his dashboard or we'd have had no idea what happened to him. Right. You know, they, they don't think about the fact that there's this whole other side. Like I remember um, cops used to do these too hot for TV you know, VHS tapes, the stuff that they couldn't throw on TV. Right. And there was this moment that was just horrific where they take you inside a home where a guy did the, I'm going to shoot my entire family right down to the infant who could not have been more than nine months old. You know, shot everybody. And because mm -hmm. it's unedited, because it's going on a VHS tape, you know, you get to see a baby lying in a pool of blood in a crib, you know, yeah. and that's just one member of the family. He shot everyone. He shot his wife. He shot all of his other kids, you know, and now imagine that that's your freaking job. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and that's what there was a cop who kind of gave the point. He's like, you want to know why cops kill themselves? Like, he just looked right at the camera. He's like, this is why cops kill themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about like over their guilt, over the things they might have done to somebody. It's just, it's shit like this. You know, and it was a really humanizing moment for me. And I was like, man, that is so freaking terrible. You know, and like, you know, but the, what's being what's being said was like, well, they choose that. You know, it's not my fault. You know, blah, 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 or whatever. Like, you know, it, it's funny how many of these people that I talk to about this, like, who have so much to say about being police. Right. You know, they won't. They're not going to be a cop. Right. They don't want the job. You know. So where are cops going to come from in their in their mystical utopia? <laughs> Who's going to handle these problems? You know, the dummies who want the job. <laughs> well, well, but, it's, but it's going to be a you, different you, way of doing it. You want it, them to yeah. be good dummies, though. You want them to be qualified, motivated and happy dummies. Well, yeah, if we get rid of the I guess what I'm saying is if they got rid of the police, they don't understand mm -hmm. that somebody's going to have a law and order and mm -hmm. their version of it may not be yours. The cartel right. runs Mexico. Like, I remember winning an argument once by pointing out because this guy was like, well, that looks like militarized police. I'm like, actually, no, that's the cartel. Mm. <laughs> the cartel moving around in heavily armored vehicles and, you know, wearing the same uniforms and, the you know, having the AR-15s with all the extra sights and all that on it, literally looking like a special forces group. Right. You know, and I, I guess... um if there was ever anything that you wish that you could communicate to people, for example, let's say, let, let's take a typical situation. Let's say we'll go with the traffic stop. If you mm -hmm. wanted to communicate to anybody how to get through that safely and to understand specifically why the police officer is saying that, like, mm -hmm. why do I need you to do these things? What is going through my head? That is leading. This will be safer for us if you do this this way rather than you just getting mouthy with me or yelling and screaming at me during a traffic stop. I mean, 
Hmm. Good, good question. I, I, I wish it was a rule in legislation that your windows have to go down on all, all windows have to go down during a traffic stop so we can see in, you know, a lot of times people have tinted windows and once again, you know, somebody could shoot you right through those windows and you wouldn't even know it's coming because the windows are so tinted. Uh, I think cooperation is just it, you know, just, just man up or woman up to your mistakes. You know, nine times out of 10, police officers are pulling you over because you did something wrong. We have recourse in this country where you can seek redress and, and you can air out your grievances if you feel like you've been aggrieved or you've been treated wrongly by police. That's called civil court. You can sue cops. You can also contact their internal affairs or, or their oversight committees because every single department has some variation of it. Just cooperate. Police officer pulls you over. He's giving you a ticket. Ticket's not the end of, of your life. It's not the end of the world. Take the ticket. Call it a day. You don't have to have a conversation. You have to be nice about it. Just sign your name and keep it going. I think the most important thing is to be nice. And unfortunately, well, not be nice, but just to cooperate. Being nice is asking for too much. I don't need you to be nice to me. Just cooperate. And unfortunately, that's something that's missing out there. You know, like like you said, you know, when you're walking up to a car, it's a very tense situation. I don't do car stops anymore. And, you know, it's, it's not like I'm not a, a cop that does my job. It's fortunately... The work that I do doesn't require me to do it. Like if I'm driving to my assigned area where I do community police and I see somebody doing like pull somebody over anytime, but I choose not to. I choose not to because, like you said, it's so dangerous. I'd much rather roll up on a guy in a staircase where I could possibly have that gunfight in a staircase than in than on a car stop because you can't see what they're doing in the car until you're there already. Right. And if they're if they're ready to do something to you, they're already prepared and you're not. And then if you're rolling up and you do as you're taught to do, which is have your hand on your gun, what do people say? Why you got your hand on your gun for? Why are you so aggressive for? You want to shoot me? You know, so if you do it the right way, then you're threatening to the motorist or to some motorists. If you don't do it the right way, then you leave yourself open to not being able to defend yourself if all hell breaks loose. So I would definitely, to answer your question, it's just about being respectful and, and, and carrying yourself with dignity. Because I always feel like if you're carrying on, then you're doing a disservice to yourself. You're misrepresenting who you are. If you're cursing and screaming and, and acting like you have no impulse control, just take the ticket, cooperate with the officer's orders, and, and then keep it moving and fight your battle later fight your battle later you know i have a story that i would add to what you're talking about i was at the time with my would would eventually be my ex-wife <laughs> and we were in a park at night you know just taking a walk mm -hmm. and the neighborhood wasn't necessarily very bad so i, I you know i wasn't i didn't expect this but a police officer pulls in and he's kind of angry he says hey the park is closed and i literally just didn't know and mm -hmm. i said oh Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I didn't even know that it was closed. And, you know, I said, thank you. I, I appreciate you letting us know. And the guy was like, are you getting smart? And I was like, no, seriously, I, I was not aware of, you know, and thank you for telling us what's going on. You know, it, it's no problem. Right. You know, I really appreciate what's going on here. And you telling us, cause eventually he got, after he realized that I sincerely appreciated him, 
Mm -hmm. First of all, he was shocked. Mm -hmm. Secondly, he went, he, his, his whole demeanor, it was like everything about him deflated in that moment because then Mm -hmm. he felt bad for yelling at me. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And he said, you know what? I think for the two of you, the park is not closed tonight, but Mm. I'm going to stay here and do some of my paperwork and just kind of stay where I can see you because the problem we're having is, is that a lot of drug deals are going on right now in this park. Mm. And I was like, Oh, well, Jesus, now I'm glad that you're here. (laughs) I didn't know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, and, I, and I wish I could tell the story better than that, but there was a real human thing that happened there where this cop suddenly ever, like, I, I just disarmed all of that angst mm-hmm. like a bomb, mm-hmm. you know, and once I clipped the wire, he was a completely different person, you know, and it helps again that I've talked to cops a bunch, so maybe mm-hmm. I, I get it, but mm-hmm. it also was like, he, you could tell that poor guy probably had a fucking shit day, you know, like... You know, you know, he just he, he's obviously had way too many people run their mouths at him, you know. Right. And, well, I, well, I would say not even a shit day, just a shit career. Right. Like, like, every time you talk to folks, you know, it's 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 a back talk. It's a it's a pushback, you know. And and, and what what do we do as parents when our kids are talking back to us? Go to your room. It's over. It's done. You can't sure. do that as a cop, you know, because people have rights. You can't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to silence you by arresting you or something like that. You know, it's like. Being a police officer, you—it's like you're in a meat grinder, right? Constantly grinding you, grinding you up, grinding you up, grinding you up. Then help me, grinding you up. Then help me. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. But now I love you because you're helping me. But now you stop hating me, you stop helping me. I don't love you again. That's that's basically the relationship with police and the community. Every single day, and it wears you down. It literally tears you apart till you get to the point where you you're like this guy, where you're just like you're on edge every single moment and finally he met somebody who was like oh this guy really is nice oh because how many people were sarcastic when he said it you know probably all of them and and, (laughs) and it just shows you that this is a good guy this is not a bad person you know he's just trying to feed his family at the end of the day like all right all of us want to help people but we want to feed our families like i'm here and i'm doing so much from i gave away 200 turkeys last week like last week, Tuesday, 200 turkeys to needy families. Me and my colleagues arranged that. We found sponsors. We did the hard work, dozens and dozens of hours on the phone and, and, and getting on the road, going to these businesses, begging them to donate 200 turkeys and gift bags with the pan for the turkey, the basters, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese so not only did we give you the turkey but we gave you everything you need to cook the turkey and threw in one pair of um what do they call it uh what's it, night clothes we call right. it sleepwear whatever like a little fuzzy sleepwear for you to fit one of your kids so if you got a kid that could fit it you got a christmas gift too that's right. what we did you know and we're here to help and we want to help the community but we get beat up so much, man. You get beat up so much that you just get to that point where it's like, all right, just, just pissed off all the time. I'm just angry and, and sad. It's very, very sad. And I actually thank God that I came into police and when I did, because coming in so late, I don't have to stick around that long for me to get that way. Right. But 
when you're one of these guys who's been doing this for 20 years, 15 years, it, it's hard to 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 fault that guy for feeling the way that he feels. Agro Vixens in the chat, she said onesie. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, um, when one of the things that when Joe Rogan brought on that woman who's a uh, police psychologist that she pointed out is that especially for the cops who live in the bad neighborhoods, that you are at an elevated state of adrenaline a lot. And that that actually does biochemical changes to your body. Mm. And what ends up happening to them, if they've done it for a long time, is that normal life starts to become like uncomfortable and like alien. And it happens to soldiers too. That's how Mm. you end up with these guys who you're like, what the hell are you going back to Iraq for? You know, like why, you know, why are you volunteering for it? And, it's not just about patriotism. It's that they can't handle being civilians anymore because right. everything in them has been rewired for this new constant state of adrenaline. And then when they don't have it anymore because they're in normal life, it literally makes them feel uncomfortable. Like almost like, I don't want to say addiction because that would imply that they enjoyed it. It's that now they don't feel right anymore because they're not constantly in fear. Like cause it doesn't you know, like, and especially you know, in some cases, a situation that would have seemed, you know, for, particularly for Vietnam soldiers I talked to, is the more safe a situation looks, the more paranoid they get. Right. You know, because that's when you really need to be worried. You know, so there's this whole other human aspect to what's going on with it that I don't think people investigate enough. And that actually brings up one more story that I wanted to tell about Black Lives Matter having their heads in their derrieres mm-hmm. was... One Black Lives Matter group, and I wish I could remember where, but they went to the mayor and they said, we want to have a Black Lives Matter protest. And the mayor said, well, I have a better idea. Why don't we have a Black Lives Matter barbecue and we'll invite the police force, you know, to come and meet with the community. And it ended up being this fantastic event where the kids are playing with the cops and, you know, the cops are getting to know the people who live there. You know, and it was fantastic. I, I you know I've watched videos of it. It was beautiful, you know, and they all had fun and it became a community building situation. And then Black Lives Matter National posts on their fucking Twitter that they completely think that that was wrong and they don't endorse it and it's terrible. You know, basically just like we do not, you know, in any way condone this blah. I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> so like, you know, and that comes back to what we discussed towards the beginning. There seems to be somebody who feels that they have a vested interest in ruining police officers' relationship with their communities. Mm -hmm. And generally what that means is that they have something else in mind. And I doubt doubt it's good. You know, how how can you say that you want to help a community if your goal is to be divisive? Right. Like we, We know the cops aren't going anywhere. You know, right. I mean, any we live in a democracy. You can you can absolutely change the nature of police and the face of policing. You can do that, but there'll always be some type of policing in our community, especially in the near future. So, if you have a program like what you just described, and it is actually a success, and it's actually building inroads in the community, bridging the gap between policing and the community, and they have the audacity to come on whatever platforms they have and denounce it it just shows you they their vested interest is not in saving the community because policing is a part of the community 
policing is a reflection of the community. All right. So when, when you're looking to buy a house, you go and you, you see like, oh, what's the crime? The who, how do you track the crime? You track the crime by a number of arrests. It's the only way you know that the crime exists. So you're looking for the police activity to let you know as that homeowner what the nature of the community is you're going to buy into. So if you look at your crime website and it shows, oh, you know, for the whole year they had zero homicides, maybe one to zero homicide, 10 to 15 property crimes, what are you going to say? Oh, this is a great community. I want to live here. Whereas if you see a community where it's 50, 100 homicides, you know, thousands of property crimes, hundreds of rapes, thousands of, 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 of larcenies, you're going to say to yourself, wow, this is a very impoverished community. This is a bad community. I don't want to live here. I don't want to be here. The, the policing is a reflection of your society, a reflection of your community. So anything that we can do to, to heal those wounds and to bring people together and bring police officers together is a beautiful thing. And I think one of the things we need to change, especially in the black community, is the perception of policing. And the fact that African-Americans often dissuade their children from joining law enforcement. And to me, that's like the dumbest thing on the planet. Because I always say this. This is my saying. How do you ask? And I don't believe that anybody is my oppressor. But I'm going to speak the tongue of some of the activists. How do you ask your oppressor to be your savior? If you think that police officers are oppressing you and specifically white police officers why would you then tell your children and your community not to participate in the profession of policing why would you tell your sons and daughters not to join police departments to then serve their own communities and then get mad when other people from other communities say well i'll take that job i'll take those benefits my kids need braces i need a retirement I'll take that job. And then you get mad when they do that. That that just never sits well with me. I'm so right. sad to hear what you said. No, I, I know what you mean. So thank you very much for coming on, man. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. And, and one of my motives was, is I really wanted my listeners to get a chance to listen to your sage wisdom. That presentation you did earlier today, I really hope people go check that out when you were talking about your experiences with that man and, and how the problem is, is we're losing our children. That was really heartfelt and fantastic. And that's why when you finally do run for office <laughs> and win, um, <laughs> I'm confident that, you know, that wherever it is that you're involved in the system, it will get much better, you right. know, but the reality is, man, is that as much as you don't want it, that might be exactly the reason why you need to do it. You ever see the movie Gladiator? Yeah, it's a favorite Where movie. he looks, Marcus Aurelius looks at him and he's like, do you accept this offer that I would want you to have? He's like, absolutely not <laughs> he's like but maximus that's why it must be you <laughs> because everybody else wants the power and they don't get it and they're not empathic right. and they're not good people yeah. you know so but regardless you know when that time comes and i you know i help you with your campaign that you will inevitably win <laughs> um <laughs> I, I look forward to it but you know and also uh i when as far as my, my ideas is something else that kind of popped into my head is i remember catching a video once of a black cop talking to him is like you guys need to help us you need to come join us you need to you know be part of the solution and mm -hmm. the guys are like well no i don't know about that oh okay well no <laughs> you know recruit locally that's one of the reasons why the position of sheriff exists in the first place is to be right. somebody who's accountable to his community 
Absolutely. You know, so now I want to make sure, guys, you know, check out the Strategic Eyes channel. And I really recommend the video that he did earlier today. You're going to get to have a very human moment listening to him recount his experience today as a police officer that led to the bandage that you've probably seen on his hand multiple times today. <laughs> and, um, you know, I look forward to working with you, man. And I, I definitely want to at some point get you on a stream, you know, with uh, some of my friends and, you know, That'd just cool. kind of homogeneously start exchanging subscribers. <laughs> well, I, I can't lie to you. I mean, I got a lot of a lot of um, subscribers from your channel and uh, they're really cool people. Uh, I haven't really met uh, a bad one out of the bunch yet. I, I really enjoy the people who come over from your channel. They're very open minded people. And, and I appreciate that. That's well, that's and that's, that's what I kind of try to cultivate. But it's that's part of my formula is what I'm trying to get is to get people who can disagree and not be pricks to each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, I police my chat room. And eventually it just created a culture where I very rarely ever have to, I think I've only had to block, actually block, block one actual human being. Mm -hmm. I have to zap the, the bots every now and then. But once people start to remember how to have conversations with each other and accept the challenge of not personally attacking one another, they start to go, you know, this is actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be constantly fighting with trolls and with the chat room. I can actually, you know, enjoy myself. And then it becomes a community, more like a family. Right. And that's how I, that's what, that was the secret to my success. And I'm glad that they're going over there and behaving themselves and they better, it'll be in <laughs> trouble, you know? So anyway, guys, check out the strategic guys show. Um, I, again, seriously, the show he did today in particular was fantastic, but he's been doing a lot of great ones other than that. And um, I really appreciate you coming on. I'd like to talk to you briefly off the air, if that's okay. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, thanks for tuning into V Radio, guys. If this is your first time checking me out, make sure you check out my archives. I have a lot of stuff on YouTube. This is me saying to the Twitch people, because I actually had a crazy amount of people on Twitch today, thanks to the efforts of um, an associate of mine who said, hey, I'll make you famous on Twitch. Let me, <laughs> let me help you on Twitch. Um, let me meet you know, that guy, too. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and... Uh, you know, that's my intention is to try to get subscriber rate up and just bring everybody with me. Because mm -hmm. we, what's the other thing is that I want to develop a network of people like you and me. And I think you'd like Johnny Walker Dread. You'd like Logical Checkmate. You'd like some of the other um, mm -hmm. creators that I deal with. I think Neo Unrealist would also be a fantastic conversation for you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and coming up on V Radio, I have contacted uh, the woman known as Grambo, <laughs> who was the... The grandma, the grandma Rambo that was at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, she's actually going to come on my show with a couple of other members of the Kenosha Guard that um, were involved in the incident in Kenosha to give their views on what happened. Um, mm -hmm. I've also got a, I'm going to do another debate. I don't really normally like to do this, but I think this one will be a lot nicer because liberal Dan is considerably more sophisticated than um, than uh, Glenn, uh, that uh, Glow Wiki was. But, um, you know... It, if there is anybody you want me to talk to, guys, make sure that you reach out and let me know. You know, it's my intention that, yes, I am interested in building more of a uh, an audience. But my reason for that is that I, I think that what I'm doing is trying to help humanity maintain their sanity. It's <laughs> it's a bit more about that. And I think that if you watch Strategic Eyes, you're going to get another great example of that kind of kind of talk. I mean, I turned him on today. You know, and there was another big stream from another big streamer, and I literally just muted it and went over to listen to Strategic Eyes. And there's not very many people in his channel because he's criminally unsubscribed, which is something that we're hoping to solve here. Mm -hmm. And again, guys, please make sure you like and subscribe and ring the bell and share. 
you know, one of the things that Tim Pool says all the time is the best thing you can do is to share our stuff because the algorithm is not going to give us a bunch of love. Like I was just talking to a guy yesterday. He's got 60,000 subscribers and his videos get less views than mine. So mm. there is weird stuff going on with the algorithm. So if you like this kind of content and you want it to succeed, then you have to share it. We're yep. not, I mean, it's great if you can support me on Patreon or whatever, but you know, just if you can't do that, just freaking share our stuff, mm. you know, because then it gets it out to more people and then you don't have to worry about it as much. Make sure you always do the like button, play around with the algorithm and give us a hand. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much again, you know, strategic for coming on today. You know, and what's coming up on your show next? Do you do you have anything you want to tell the audience to look forward to? I don't know. I just pick it up on the fly. <laughs> you do that stuff on the fly. There yeah, is I no do. way, bro. <laughs> on the fly, man. And you're like, not running for like, office. Oh, let me go Come talk on, about dude. this today. That stuff you said today looked like, you know, like a freaking I have a dream speech for a cop. That was like, <laughs> this is so beautiful. He needs to run for office. So you know, the, yeah, it was just because we need genuine people with souls mm. to run for office. That's what I yeah. think. But anyway, man, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, please also, he has a Discord. I have a Discord. Um, to, because YouTube is also not, they pull weird hijinks where people get unsubscribed or they don't get their notifications. So that's why I have a Discord. You don't have to chat it up. You don't. It's not going to blow up your phone. You know, it doesn't have to anyway, but I post links to absolutely everything I do on Discord, on Telegram, on Facebook, on my Facebook group, Fans of V Radio. You know, those are the best, most reliable ways for you to be aware of the fact that we're putting out more stuff. Thanks again for coming on, Strategic. Did you have anything final that you wanted to share? No, just a great opportunity to talk about policing. I'm always here to do it again, um, and I appreciate you giving me this platform and and you know hopefully one day we'll all get the recognition that we deserve so our message it's not about us it's the message uh, of bringing people together and just just basic sanity will spread we'll see what happens man let's keep at it all right i'm gonna end this broadcast here guys thank you very much for tuning in and thank you to all my new twitch people Jeez, man i had more people in twitch today than i did on youtube that's crazy i stopped doing facebook because i might get like one or two people at most and Twitter, I don't even know how that works. You stream on Twitter, and I don't even know how people interact with your stream on Twitter, so I stopped doing it. Mm. Um, you know, so thank you and welcome to all of my new Twitch people. I really appreciate that. And again, you know, you guys can all pool in the same place if you join our social media. Thanks again for tuning into V Radio, guys. <laughs>